Amen. You can have a seat. How you guys doing tonight? Man, it has been gorgeous. It's supposed to be gorgeous tomorrow. We have a big party for our community to show them how much we love them. So we hope that you will invite all your friends. We hope that you will come out and serve and be a part of that. It is going to be an awesome day tomorrow. Uh, The week after, we are going to uh, celebrate that kids have gone back to school. That's not why we're celebrating. Actually, it's a back-to-school bash because they had to go back to school. So if you are in middle school or high school, next Sunday, August 19th, from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, we'll be having a big bash. We're having lots of color fun and festivities and some good food. So I recommend coming out. Hey, uh, last week, Daniel uh, kicked off a, a message that he wasn't planning on doing. He did one of his favorite verses. And uh, it's amazing to me how God kind of works sometimes. He's a lot smarter than we are. He's wiser. He's better at kind of planning things out. And we had planned for me to do my favorite verse uh, here, but Daniel was supposed to be in this whole uh, different series. And and so uh, he randomly picked a verse that he, he intended to do, and it just so happens to really flow these two verses uh, together. And so last week, if you remember, Daniel talked about temptation. He said this, which I thought was, was really good. He said, that if you don't control your impulses, your impulses will control you. If you don't control your impulses, your impulses will control you. And there is a path that leads to destruction, and it is wide, It's easy to get pulled away and sucked into worthless activity, worthless things, things that consume our time that, you know, for a space or for a season, it seems like this is so important. I have to be doing this, but you know it's not leading towards anything good or healthy or, but for whatever it is, you're on this road that that is easy and wide and leads to destruction. And there's a path that leads to life. It's narrow, and if you find it, it's a path that leads towards truth and I know numerous people who, who bottle up their distractions, their, their pain, their hurts, their sorrows. They, they put themselves off as better than they are. They, they try to hide from people their secret sins, and they store it all up, hoping not to offend people, or there's the possibility that they don't want their reputation to be ruined or tarnished or whatever it is, and ultimately, they're bottling up a deadly, quiet killer. James 1 says this, says temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and sin when it is allowed to grow, whenever it it gets kind of a, a full head of steam, it gives birth to death. Our temptations and sin will lead to death for the wage of our sin. The price of sin is death. It has to be satisfied. And so sin always leads to destruction. And I would guess that some of you have sin in your life. I'm going to guess that you are struggling with something that is hurting your heart. It's robbing your relationships. It's robbing your desire to be closer to Christ, something that has been a burden on you. You have an envelope on, on your chair, and maybe you've been curious as to what that is. Hopefully you didn't write your name on it. That's something that we tend to do. We just grab things and we put our name on it. That's the whole point of the numbering system. So inside there is a card that we would love for you to pull out. First, here's what I I want you to do. You take that number that's on the back, it's stapled on the back, just go ahead and and you can take that off and then put that in your pocket. You're going to need that later on 
to remember your envelope, all right? Inside, there is going to be a card. And, and while I talk for the next little bit, you're, feel free to go over that card and in an anonymous way. Please don't put your name on it. That will not be helpful to the anonymous side of things. But you, uh, you can go ahead and you can read through that. It's obvious. What's burdening my heart? Hey, this is my struggle. This is what I need encouragement in. This is where I need strength. This is where I need comfort. This is where I need God to step into the midst of what's going on inside my heart and in my life. So here's the deal. You can be honest. Don't look to your left or to your right. That kind of distracts from the whole thing, but it is anonymous. And our staff has no desire to figure out who these are or what they are, but these are going to be put back inside the envelope whenever you're done. Don't seal them. Please don't seal them because that will also be cumbersome to the whole process. So just put it back inside. And here in a little while, our ushers are going to come up. They're going to collect those. And those are going to the side auditorium where we have a large group of people who are going to pray over them. And they're going to write encouragement notes to you in the midst of this process. So be honest. And if you are tonight, if you allow somebody to peek inside what's going on in the midst of your life, in the midst of your heart that you need encouragement in, if you need challenged, somebody's going to have the opportunity to pray for that specifically and write encouragement to you in a way that hopefully will be uh, very real and meaningful tonight. So uh, write down what's weighing on your heart, and here in a minute, ushers are going to come up. You can pass those kind of to the insides of the aisle, um, and they'll be able to, to get those. At the end of the message, this also will be important, okay? You'll be able to take that number, and almost like a child check-in tag, you'll be able to say, this is my number, and then you'll get your envelope back, all right? So don't grab your spouse's number. Don't, you just your number, hand it over, and you'll get your card back. So it, it leads us all to what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about encouragement. And this is where I think God is wiser and smarter uh, than us, because uh, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of our sin pulling us away, what we all need is somebody in our life, in our heart, who can encourage and challenge us back towards truth, back towards peace, back towards a better way. And we, we need that help. When tempted, Daniel's message last week, one of the best things that you can have is somebody who can encourage you. So today we want to talk about encouragement. Unfortunately, we're not very good at it. We are very good, however, about accentuating the negative, pointing out the flaws, laughing at society whenever they fail and, and fumble and fall. And, you know, they, we feel like, man, they are so wealthy or righteous or powerful or whatever it is. So whenever they fail, we're good at poking fun at them. We are really good at critiquing what we don't like and tearing each other down. We're really poor at building each other up. Can you think of the last time you turned to your friend and you said, hey, I really admire Whatever character trait that was, I really admire your heart, your loyalty, your, your forgiveness. You are a person who is uh, a passionate, and your passion has inspired me in my life. Have you turned to your friend recently, and in the midst of just a normal day-to-day, -day, you were able to speak to them and encourage them? How about the last time you turned to your friend and said, you're an idiot. <laughs> you are a moron. I feel like the times... For those are, are much more 
rampant. They're much more familiar. Can you remember the last time it wasn't their birthday or anniversary, but you told your spouse, you're really so good at whatever it is, and, and you encouraged them for no reason at all, but other than to speak into their heart. My mom is amazing at writing encouragement notes. She writes them for no reason. Uh, she came and stayed at our house randomly, you know, in summer like parents do, and we get a thank you card for putting them up and allowing them to stay in our house. And my mom's just always been really good at that, and I didn't pick that up. I didn't grab hold of that, that she would always do that. And I wish I would have. Why are we not more intentional about encouraging each other? building up the body of Christ. Because honestly, isn't there enough negative, hurtful, harmful bullying and sarcasm in this world? Isn't there just about enough of it? Philippians 2.1 says this. This is, this is my favorite verse. It's Philippians 2.1 through 11, which I think is the, the heart and character of a leader. I think it's a verse that everybody should bind to their heart and memory. Um, but we're just going to look at the first two verses this morning. And it, or, yeah, it's that's when we come here, right? I knew I would do that, but it is evening still. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. So here's what encouragement does. Encouragement unites us, it builds trust, it builds a, a comfort level within each other, and it softens our heart to accept where others are, right where they are. It softens our hearts so that we can love them just like Jesus would. Is that everybody done writing their card right now? Our ushers are itching to come forward. So you guys come forward, you can take those up. Those cards are going to go to the side auditorium where they will be prayed for and encouraged. If you didn't have enough time to write down all your burdens, that's okay. At the end of my message, they're going to come up again and take those back to the side auditorium. So encouragement does this. It unites us. It builds trust to establish comfort. Does that make sense? If you trust somebody, you become comfortable with them. It builds comfort and it softens our hearts so that we can see into the midst of their heart. We can see their character. We can encourage and challenge them. We can truly love each other. Think about this for your friendships. Think about it for your marriage. Think about it for your employees, your coworkers, whatever it is. How would you like to have a marriage that is united? It's trust-filled. It's accepting. Me too. So encourage each other. How many of you are tired of backbiting in your work environment? Encourage each other. How many of you would like the team that you coach to be better and, and, and filled with enthusiasm? Encouragement goes so far. Encouragement unites us. It builds trust to form a comfort level with each other. And it softens our hearts to be compassionate, to look at what Jesus would do in the midst of all our situations and to love genuinely. You say, well, I've never felt those things. That's because we're bad at encouraging. We're just really bad at it. And I feel like if we could sense the encouragement that we get from being united with Christ, the reason that we gather here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday is because we all have a common bond, a common unity. And if we could sense that, if we could trust each other, the person that you're sitting next to right now who you may not know 
because they go to the 8.30 and you go to the 11 and you're like, wow, there's so many different people than I've ever seen before. If you could trust them more and more, if we could soften our hearts, then I think more marriages would stick together. I think more parents would see kids who are happy to be obedient. I think we would see better friendships and workplaces and I think we would see a better world if followers of Christ everywhere decided to see the unity that we have in Christ and instead of pointing out their flaws and their sin, which is super easy to do, stop pointing out how awful and horrible and lazy our spouses are. If we could get out of our own way and soften our hearts, maybe we could see something to encourage and build up in our kids, in our friends, in our coworkers that would provide for comfort or trust with each other that in turn gives us an environment to love. I will say this, you know, I've never wanted to be president of the United States, and you're thankful for that. I get it. (laughs) Never once did I, as a kid, just kind of sit around and ponder, what would it be like to be president of the USA? Not once. Not once did I ever do that, because here's the deal. You cannot please everyone. It's not possible. I mean, it's like the most impossible job ever, and even if you could unite the states, Then we have other countries, and evil is everywhere. It's all around us, right? So I don't want to be the president. I don't. But I I would liken the role of the president of the United States almost to a lead pastor of a successful growing church because you can't please everyone. And as soon as you start trying to, here's what eventually happens. You water down what I believe God set us on fire to do. I think you begin to water down when you try to balance the ship and ready it so that everybody is kind of getting a little piece of what they want. And I think God wants to do something in the midst of this place. But often, and I wish it wasn't true, but often what can happen is Daniel can stand up here and Daniel can have, you know, spent a whole week on this sermon, crafting it, writing it, thinking about it, praying about it, putting in the time, and then As soon as he preaches it, he can watch off the stage, and then three people will come up to him in the lobby and be like, there's this grammatical error, there's this theological, you know, I kind of didn't agree, and they, whatever it is, and if they're not bold enough to say it to his face in the lobby, it's an email on Monday morning, and the list goes on. Music too loud, email to Daniel. I'm not being fed, that's my pastor's fault. It's his fault, I'm not being fed. AC temperature is not right, that's Trevor's fault, I won't. I won't lie, that's my fault. (laughs) Bathrooms were a touch messy. The coffee was out. There was no coffee on Saturday night. (laughs) Right? Oftentimes, Daniel could spend an eternity looking at all the negative things that are so horribly wrong with our church. What would happen if we built up and encouraged our pastor? What if Daniel was the most encouraged pastor in our community? Don't you think we get a better church? I do. What if this staff at Calvary was the most encouraged of any team? What if your household was a place of encouragement? What if your job, your friendships, your team, what if it all started with you? So I want to give you some tools to do this. And I'm going to use Daniel because honestly, he can't preach this sermon. Can you imagine? Guys, I need a little bit more encouragement. <laughs> Last week I was out there and multiple people of you came up to me. It was very offensive. It hurt my feelings. Daniel can't preach this sermon, but I can. And I don't know anyone who turns down encouragement. Do you? I mean, we may not be very good at receiving it well, but everyone wants to be encouraged, to have purpose. So here's how we can encourage Daniel and in turn 
You can encourage your spouse. You can encourage your friendships. We pray. All right? The first one of four is this. Pray for your pastor's protection. Not his physical protection, because if Daniel was to get in a fight with anybody on staff, he would lose. All right? Even Amy. I'm just saying. So don't pray for his physical protection. He's not going to be in a fight anytime soon that I'm aware of. Maybe after this, he might, I'm probably going to get fired, but that's okay. <laughs> Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Here's what we're fighting against. The thoughts that go on in our head. The negative thoughts that play over and over in our head. We're fighting against mighty powers, doubts about our future growth as a church family in this dark world, and against evil spirits, haunting critiques of unsatisfied churchgoers in the heavenly places. So while I want our pastor to be the most prayed-up, encouraged pastor in our community, you can insert whoever's name in the blank here, but here's the deal. It just won't have quite the alliteration as these will. So pray for your pastor's protection, because the battle rages on. It's fierce. It's a battle against the dark forces of this evil world. And let me tell you, if anybody is doing good in the midst of this world, man, Satan wants nothing more than to, to knock them off. And we need Daniel to be protected from the evil forces in this dark world that might attempt to pull him away, entice him towards sin. Because if we all have temptation, if we all can sin in any way at any time, then that includes Daniel. So we need to pray for our pastor's protection. And nothing is more important than your personal walk with Jesus. My walk, your walk, Daniel's walk, it's important. So ask Daniel from time to time, hey, what are you, what are you studying? What are you reading in God's word? And when we tell you the answer, ask us, and how did that verse talk to your heart? Uh, what did that verse uh, say to you? Just investigate our personal walk with Jesus. And here's the deal. You're about to say, this is the most honest thing I've ever heard from a stage in church. Pastors are often the biggest hypocrites. There you go. You probably didn't see that coming. Because we stand up here and we tell you about ways that you can improve your life, grow your faith, better your marriage, but we often struggle to fulfill these things in our own lives. If you were to follow me around, here's what you could find. I sometimes yell at my kids. I'm not very kind to my wife. I treat customer service like they're idiots this week with Sprint. So there you go. So pray for our pastor's protection. Number two, pray for your pastor's people, his family, his friends, his staff. Pray for your pastor's family. You know, one of the greatest struggles for any pastor is to have a perfect family, perfect kids, the perception that our kids are better than they really are, or maybe even the pressure that we feel from some people that our kids actually should be perfect. So learn your pastor's family, his wife, and pray for their marriage. Learn his kids and pray for uh, their parenting, that he would simply point them towards Jesus, to love Jesus. And that's honestly all that any of us can do as parents, right? Point them towards Jesus and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I hear that someone has prayed for my family, and this, is, this has happened multiple times. People come up to me and say, hey, I'm praying for Ellis as he goes off to camp. And let me tell you, I feel 10 feet tall and I could take on the world in the midst of that. So pray for your pastor's people. Pray that Daniel has at least one friend. <laughs> right. I, that's not what I thought would be funny. I'm not going to lie. 
You know, as a lead pastor of a church this size, a growing church, a healthy church, here's the deal. It's difficult to have a friend in the church because as soon as you start to tell somebody, hey, here's where I struggle, this is where I'm hurting, this is some of my burdens, the things that you're supposed to do with your friend to, to be encouraged and challenged, you can begin to think, oh man, he's so weak. I didn't know you struggled in this way. And so it's hard for a pastor to have a friend. So pray, Lord, please give Daniel one friend that he can confide in and enjoy life with. Pray for our staff. Satan would love nothing more than a staff to be divided. So, so spend time, uh, you know, he, Satan would love for us to spend time arguing about uh, how to do and fulfill ministry rather than getting out and actually doing ministry. So pray for our staff that we would be encouraged by unity that allows us to sense the comfort that we have with each other, to trust each other, and to love each other. If we do that, nothing is impossible for this church. Nothing is impossible for this place. So pray for your pastor's people. And if you uh, pray this for your family, for your friends, for the staffs that you work with, then wow, what a place this world is going to be. What an amazing place of encouragement and challenge, a, a place that you're happy and satisfied to go to work. Pray for your pastor's passion. This is important. You know what's awesome about this one? Is if you pray for your pastor's passion, you assume he has some. You are encouraging his passion. And so as you pray for his focus to be centered on Christ, seasoned with salt, that his desire to serve Christ with all of his heart, his passions be magnified and they become your passions. Guess what? This prayer actually benefits you. Because nothing is scarier than a, a passionless pastor. So pray that God light a fire in Daniel that we cannot contain and watch as God gets all the glory. Here, here's the thing. I'm married to probably the world's most beautiful, amazing, intelligent wife. She is uh, amazing. And I married way up. I get it. And all God's people said, how? How is that even <laughs> possible? But the truth is, if I pray for my wife's passion... If I pray for her desires, if I encourage her in those endeavors, I get a more happy, healthy wife. I get someone who is passionate, and that benefits me. So encourage your pastor. Encourage your friends. Encourage your spouse. Encourage your kids. Watch them just get excited about something and encourage their passion. It's all key to watching as we all actually live in unity. Here's the last one. Pray for your pastor's perseverance. Romans 15, 30 says this. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. Paul, in the midst of one of his darkest times sitting in a jail in Philippi, he says this, join me in praying for my encouragement, for the long haul, for sharing, uh, you know, Paul's in prison for sharing what he knows to be true about Jesus. He's sharing the good news. He's suffering for the cause. And he knew this. If I don't have people pray, if anybody is open to sin at any time in any way, then that includes me, and that could possibly mean giving up on God. So pray for your pastor's perseverance. You know a good time to pray this prayer? It's basically any time that the Holy Spirit puts one of, our, one of your pastor's names on your heart is a great time to pray for them. For whatever reason their name comes to your mind, go ahead and pray for them. But a really good time to pray for Daniel is Sunday afternoon and Monday morning. 
Because here's what happens. These are two times that if a pastor might feel the desire to give up, it's on a Sunday afternoon when no one made a decision, no one really uh, followed through on maybe a commitment, people have complained, and, and you didn't feel like your sermon went as, as you hoped. And you're sitting there on Sunday afternoon, you're tired, you're drained from the, the morning's activities, and that is the time where a pastor could really feel like, you know what, I'm just going to give up. Monday morning when one more email hits the desk, and you're done, and you're tired. So pray for your pastor's perseverance. Can I just give you some stats? They're almost 10 years old, and so I would imagine that they've changed uh, in, in some time. You know, some less, some more. But New York Times did a study on pastors, and here's what they found in, in 2010. 13% of active pastors are divorced. 24% of pastors don't know where to turn when they have a family or life issue. One out of four pastors' wives think their husband's work schedule is a source of conflict. One in three pastors experience burnout in the first five years of ministry. 33% of pastors say being in ministry is a hazard to their family. 40%, listen, 40% of pastors are struggling from burnout and unreal to lofty expectations. 45% of pastors have experienced depression to the extent of needing to take a leave of absence. One out of two pastors feel unable to meet the needs and expectations of their job. 56% of pastors' wives say they have no close friendships. Eight out of 10 pastors say they have insufficient time with their family. 90% of pastors work more than 60 hours a week. And you might be saying, you know what, I do that too. And here's what I would say, it's not healthy for you either. And I guess that you're probably tired. 94% of pastors feel pressure to have a perfect family, like I said earlier. And here's two more. These are a big deal issue of prayer and a source of encouragement for, for any pastor, but 56% of pastors' wives wish their husbands did something else. And at any time, they feel like the pressure could be so great that why not? I mean, there's so many other jobs that probably all of us could do. <laughs> I can make money doing plenty of other things, but I choose to sacrifice quite a bit so that I can focus in on what Christ hopes for your heart, so I can encourage and challenge in the midst of ministry. And this last one breaks my heart, but I know it's likely true. Every month, every month, 1,500 pastors and clergymen quit or are asked to leave due to burnout. It's too bad. So here's what we're going to do, all right? I'm going to stop crying. During the next three songs of worship, uh, there are several stations all around this room. They just have tons of, of note cards, tons of note cards. I'd love for you to, to go and just grab a stack of those. And I'd love for Daniel to be the most prayed up, encouraged pastor in our community. So I'd love for you to just grab a stack of those and bring them back to your chair and then pray for our staff. They're, they're, the staff can be on the screen. Uh, if you want, you can take a picture of that so that you can write a note of encouragement to, to each one of our staff members. Then out in the lobby, because there wasn't enough room in here, we tried to make enough room for all of you, but out in the lobby, there's a, a bucket for each one of our staff. You can take the note of encouragement following the service out to them. Then you can take your number and go and pick up your card of encouragement as well. So again, what you're going to do is just as the band plays these next three songs, you can worship 
you're going to have plenty of time, plenty of time to get up and move, to go and grab some cards, to pray over your pastors, to, to write a note of encouragement. But uh, the worship is going to be amazing. You're going to be able to hear it singing over you, playing over you. You're going to have time. Around the room are several other things. So all throughout, keep, you know, I apparently wrote that like 15 times. So it's, but you can look to the directions too. So there's pastors and there'll be directions. Here's what I do, all right? There are times in ministry when it's challenging, it's hard. When I feel like, man, I'm exhausted. I have a drawer in my office that's filled with every note, every chicken scratch on a napkin of encouragement, a thank you, whatever it's been, several from you all. There's tons of, in my 15 plus years of ministry, I just have this whole stack of thank you notes. Whenever it's hard, I just open that drawer and I go to the, the list of people who have, you know, I've had influence in their life or I've, and I just read encouragement after encouragement after encouragement. So during the next three songs, that's what I, I hope you can do. Go grab a stack of cards around this room and, and just write a note of encouragement. And if you need to write one to your spouse, eh, you can put whatever name you want on it. Out in the lobby are the names of the pastors. You can drop that in the bucket.